to Christians. And so we have some very real enemies, some very ungodly people that are enemies of the cross. And the, the heat in our country is being turned up against Christians. Have you noticed that? The heat has, is being turned up and it's being, becoming more and more unpopular to believe the Bible. Just to say, I believe what the Bible says. When you say that, you are branded uh, as someone who is intolerant, someone who is a bigot, uh, someone who is judgmental, someone who is not loving. You are, you are, uh, uh, you are branded as someone who is small-minded, unintelligent. And as we uh, live in this world, the ungodly world, and we say we believe the Bible, we're going to have to pay the price. It's coming in our country. I mean, it, it, it's, it's going that direction quickly. We need to understand that. So we're surrounded by the world. We're in a real, really um, fierce battle with the ungodly system that bombards us. Secondly, second enemy that we all encounter as Christ followers is the devil. Back in Ephesians 2, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Who's the prince of the power of the air? He's talking about Satan. Talking about the devil. And he's saying, you, before you met Christ, you lived under the power of the devil. And we need to understand the devil is not some, some, some fictional personification of evil. The devil is real. There's a real, literal devil. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that he is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your home, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your kids, wants to destroy your church, wants to destroy everything good. The devil is evil, and he is constantly coming against us. So as believers in Christ, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. The devil and his demons are doing everything in their power to destroy our lives, right? To keep us from living for the glory of God, to keep us from making an impact for the glory of God. We are in a very real fight against the devil. The third enemy is the flesh. The flesh. Look what it says there in verse 3 of Ephesians 2. Among them, the sons of disobedience, these are people that do not know Christ, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our what? Flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So he's saying, you were a sinner by nature. He says, you were by nature children of wrath. You know, we were all born with a sin nature. That's why we sin. Because we're all born with this bent to sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world and corrupted everyone born from that point on. Everyone born since Adam and Eve sinned has been born with a sin nature except for Jesus Christ. Because he was born of the Virgin, Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit. But this sin nature is real, and we all have it. And if you don't believe it, just look at your kids. Question, did you have to teach your kids how to lie? It, it just came what? Naturally, right? The other day, my two-year-old little girl, Abby Faith, uh, I walked in, and on my recliner, there were some pin marks. This is my chair. You know, I love this chair. And there were some pin marks there. And so I said, Abby Faith, did you, did, you, did you draw one of my chairs? She went, no. And she pointed at her, at her brother. She said, brothers. She blamed it on them. I knew they didn't do it. She blamed it on them. And I told Claire, I said, you know, we didn't have to teach her to do that. We didn't have to teach her to mislead us and to blame somebody else. I mean, it just comes naturally, right? That Because we all have that sin nature. 
And so, we need to understand that our flesh is real, our bent to sin, our, our, our inner corruption is real, even after you're saved. The Bible tells us, we're going to see this in a, in a few minutes, that Jesus did not take away our flesh. He, he, he allows us to have power over the flesh. We, we die to sin, I'll explain that all in a minute, but he doesn't take away the flesh. There's this real, very real battle we're in until we get to heaven between the spirit, the new us, and the old us. The Bible says when you became a Christian, you became, became a brand new creation in Christ. So when I was saved at nine years of age, I became a new Wade. But the old Wade's still there. And the old Wade is always tugging on my sleeve. Is your old you tugging on your sleeve? Always trying to get you to do the wrong thing, right? And so the flesh, our inner, uh, our inner sin nature is always trying to pull us in the wrong direction direction and so we have some very real enemies not amalekites but we have the world the flesh the devil and we are in a war and if you don't understand that you are going to get defeated you are going to get destroyed in the battle so we need god to be a banner over our lives secondly god's presence is available to those who trust him if you want god's presence in the battle if you want god's help in the battle it's available, but you've got to trust him. Turn over to Psalm chapter 20. Psalm chapter says we will sing for joy verse 5 we will sing for joy over your victory and in the name of our god we will set up banners there's that same word the lord is our banner nisi nice the name of our god we will set up banners may the lord fulfill all your petitions now look in verse 7 he's talking about this david here talking about warfare he says some trust in or some boast in chariots some in horses but we will boast we will trust in the name of the lord our God, they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Say, O Lord, may the king answer us in the day we call. And so David here saying, we want God to be our banner. We want God to be with us in the battle. We want God to look over us and, and protect us and provide for us in the battle. We want God's banner over our lives. But, he says, there's some that don't trust God. Some trust chariots and horses. But we will boast in, we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. If you want God to be a banner over your life, if you want his help in the battle, you've got to trust him. As a matter of fact, God is honored when we trust him, and he is dishonored when we do not. If you look through the Old Testament over and over and over again, God keeps telling Israel, trust me. When you get in trouble, don't run to Egypt. Isaiah 30, 31, 32, 33, somewhere in there. Don't run to Egypt. Don't run to Assyria. When you get in trouble, run to me. I'll help you out. You need me. And he wants his people to trust him, to believe that he's the one that will help, to believe that he's the one that we need. Now, oftentimes when we get in trouble, we get into a hard spot in life, and we go through trials or difficulties, we run to everyone and everything except God, don't we? We try to handle it ourselves, or we go to someone or something. We try to manipulate the situation. 
But God says, well, hey, when you're in a battle, trust me. And if you'll trust me, I'll be a banner over you. You can fight under me as your provider, your protector. You can fight under my presence. So God's presence is available to those who trust him. Third, God's presence is available to those who fear him. Turn to Psalm 60. Psalm 60. Verse 4. The context of Psalm 60 is after David becomes the king of Israel, after Saul in 2 Samuel. And uh, he has a victory over some enemies. And in Psalm 60, verse 4, it says, You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth, Selah. And so he's saying, when, when, when we fear you, God, when we reverence you, when we respect you, when we follow you, when we obey you, you give us a banner. You, you become a banner over our lives. You become present in our lives. You give us victory in our battles. You give us victory over our enemies. And so if you want God to be a banner over your life, if you want God's help and protection and provision in your life, you've got to trust him. You've got to go to him when times get tough. But secondly, you've got to fear him. In other words, he's Lord. He's master. He's calling the shots. He's boss. You, you obey him. You reverence him. You respect him. You fear him. You orient your life around him. And as you do that, God will be a banner over your life. God's presence is available to those who fear him. And here's the fourth thing. God's presence means certain victory. It means certain victory. If God is your banner, you're going to win. Look in Psalm 60, you're already there. Look in verse 12. The Bible says, Through God we shall do valiantly, and it is he who will tread down our adversaries. Now remember the context here. He says, we want the Lord to be a banner over us. We fear him. We want to be our banner. And he's saying when the Lord is your banner, when the Lord is watching over you, when you're fighting under his banner, you will have victory because he treads down all of our adversaries. He treads down all of our foes. So God's presence in our lives means certain victory. If we know, if we know the Lord in a personal way, if he is our banner, if we trust him and fear him, he will give us the victory over the situations we face in this life. Which leads me to number five. We're going to spend some time here. Left plenty of time for it. Just think about the Lord being our banner. This is where it gets exciting. Jesus is our banner. Jehovah Nisi. Jesus is our banner. So we need God's presence when surrounded by enemies. We, God's presence is available to those who trust him. God's presence is available to those who fear him. God's presence means certain victory. You say, wait, I want that. I want God to be my banner. I want God to watch over my life. I want God to fight for me in the battles. How can I know that Jehovah Nisi is, is my banner? How can I know that in my life? Well, it, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is our banner. Now, let me show you this. Turn to Numbers chapter 21. I love this story. Numbers 21, verse 6. This is when the people of God uh, rebel against God and Moses. They're in the wilderness. They don't have the food they want. So they're, why have you brought us into, in, into this wilderness to die, even though God had provided for them over and over and over again? 
and the Lord is angry at their, their murmuring. It says this in verse 6, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Now, just let me just say this parenthetically. That would be awful. I hate snakes. I don't know about you. I read a story today about a lady um, that uh, had a, uh, a pet um, boa constrictor, which if you have one, I'm, I, please don't be offended at this, but why? Okay, why? All right. And, and, uh, and they found her dead in her apartment because she, the, she was cooking dinner and the snake was out there and, and it wrapped around her and killed her. I mean, it's a snake, okay? And, and I hate snakes. And can you imagine that, that, you're, that you're, you know, in the camp and all of a sudden there are these, these serpents everywhere and, and they bite you and you fall over dead? I mean, it was just terrifying. It was God's judgment on them. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you, and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard. Now that word standard there is the same word banner, nisi, nis. It's the same word in the Hebrew language. So Lord is my nisi, Lord is my banner, is the same word here when he says make a serpent and set it on a banner, or a, it's translated here, pole. And it shall come about that Everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the standard, and, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. That's where we get the symbol for, for, for uh, medicine. If you, you know, on back of ambulances, you have a pole with a serpent around it. That's, that's this, that comes from this story, uh, healing, uh, brought about by God. So if any person was bit, uh, after the serpent was put on the pole, they could just look at the serpent on the on the nisi on the on the standard on the banner, and then they would uh, live. So it's a pretty amazing story. And here's what makes this story so amazing: number one, God God's wrath, but also God's love. God provided a way for them to be saved, and it was not just enough to know that the 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 serpent was there. You had to appropriate the healing for your life. So. If you were bitten, you couldn't say, well, I've heard about the serpent. I know it's on the pole. You had to actually look, right? If you looked, you lived. And God gave them a way to be healed of the snake bite. Now, this story is mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus Christ. Do you know that? And it's mentioned right before the most famous verse in the Bible. Turn to John chapter 3. I'm going to show you this. John chapter 3, this is when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee that came to him by night. He tells him at the beginning of chapter 3, you must be born again. Outward religious works doesn't save you. You've got to have, have an inner transformation. You've got to be saved. You've got to be made a new person. The Spirit does that. And in verse 11, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. So he's saying, his right, I came from heaven, Son of God. Verse 14, now watch this. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness on a nisi, on a banner, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. This is the most famous verse in the Bible. 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice the context of John 3.16. Right before John 3.16, he mentions the serpent in the wilderness. And he's saying that serpent in the wilderness is a type of Christ, is a picture of Christ. Just like the serpent was lifted up and people were mortally wounded, if they looked to the serpent, they would live. And in a like manner, Jesus would be lifted up. When was Jesus lifted up? He was lifted up when he died on the cross, right? Dying for your sins, dying for my sins, taking the wrath of God in our place. And he's saying Jesus is lifted up for us. And if we believe on him, not just know about him, but appropriate his, his death, just like they had to look, we have to believe. Now, there's a lot of folks that know about Jesus, but they're not saved. I mean, they, they know all about him. They can tell you the story of Jesus, but they're not truly saved because they never appropriated his death on their behalf personally. Again, you could be in the Hebrew camp and be bitten by a snake and know the snake, know that the, the serpent on the pole was over there, but until you looked, you would die, right? You had to look. And Jesus died for our sins. It's not, not enough just to know that. You have to believe. You have to believe that he's your only hope. You have to trust him as your Lord and Savior. And so here... Jesus was lifted up on a, a pole, a, a cross for our sins. And so Jesus is our banner. The cross is our banner. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us victory because of his death on the cross. That's the connection between John 3 and Numbers 21. Just like the, the serpent was on a banner, Jesus is our banner. The one who gives us victory. So, let's think about the implications of that. Jesus, first of all, triumphs over the world. Remember I told you earlier, one of our enemies is the world, the ungodly system all around us. And Jesus triumphs over the world. Let me show you this. Turn to John chapter 16. Look in verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. Last verse in that chapter. Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, the ungodliness all around you, in the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is very clear there. I've I've overcome the world. The, The ungodly system around you, the ungodly people around you, I've won. I've won the victory. Just trust me, believe in me, I'll be your banner, I'll bring you through the ungodly world, and I'll bring you home to heaven, because I have won. I have overcome the world. And so the world is a reality, we need to be on guard, we need to be alert, we need to build boundaries in our lives to keep ungodly things away from from us so they don't influence us in an ungodly direction, but we need to understand that Jesus has already won the victory. This world is not our home, right? We're just passing through. He is watching over us, and he will bring us home safely to heaven. So Jesus, as our banner, has triumphed over the world. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. I want to show you this. Near the backs of your Bible. It says in verse 4, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, when you trust Christ as Lord and Savior, you're born again. You're born of God, it says. You become His. And when that happens, you have overcome the world. You've already won the battle. And so, that ought to matter for Christians. I think a lot of times... We, uh, we watch the news, we turn on the TV, and we, and we see how ungodly things are and how tragic things are all around us, and we kind of cower down and we kind of hunker down, and, and our mentality becomes, well, let's just hold the fort until we get to heaven. And, and that's, not the, that's not the mentality we need to have at all. Jesus has overcome the world. We can, we, can, we can march against the forces of evil, amen? We can make a difference with the light of Christ. Instead of Hold the fort, as Adrian Rogers used to say. We need to be singing Onward Christian Soldiers because Jesus has overcome the world. The victory's already been won. Jesus is our banner. So don't be intimidated by the ungodly, the threats of the ungodly. You know, in John chapter 16, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he knew the difficult roads they were going to go down. You know, all of the disciples, except for uh, the apostle John, died a martyr's death. And John died in, in, in exile on a, a barren island called Patmos. So they all went through very difficult roads for preaching Jesus. He knew that. But he's telling them, listen, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be maligned. You're going to be mistreated. But don't, don't, don't worry. I've overcome the world. You can live in victory. So Jesus has triumphed over the world. Secondly, Jesus triumphs over the flesh. Jesus triumphs over the flesh. Remember I told you one of our enemies is our inner sin nature that is not eradicated at the moment of conversion. One day it will be eradicated when we get to heaven. But right now there's the, there's the new Wade. You're looking at the new Wade with the old Wade, constantly tugging on the new Wade sleeve. And if you're a Christ follower, there's a new you and there's an old you. All right? And there's a real battle there. But you need to understand that Jesus has overcome your sin nature so that you can have victory. Turn over to... Romans, we're going to read Romans 7 first, then go back and read Romans 6. Turn to Romans chapter 7 with me. Romans chapter 7. Let's look in um, verse 15. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul's writing here. For that which I'm doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Anybody ever been there? You ever done something and you don't want to do it? And you, as a matter of fact, you hate it? But you find yourself doing it and being drawn to do it some more. Why? Your old self, your old sin nature, the flesh. Look what it says. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, I mean spiritual giant, says, I, I know this is true, there is evil in me. 1 John says, if someone says that they don't have any evil in them, they're a liar, and the truth is not in them. If someone says they do not sin, they lie. 
Paul said, I find this principle, there is evil in me. He says, verse 22, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. In other words, I agree with the law of God. I want to obey God. I want to do God's will. But I see a different law, something going on in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. You ever felt like your, your, your desires are not participating with what you know is right? Like you know something's right, or you know something's wrong, you, you agree with the law of God in your mind, but your fleshly desires are pulling you in the opposite direction. Anybody ever been there, or is it just me? We've all been there, right? Paul was there. He, he understood this. Let me, tell you, let me tell you a good way to experience this. Take a day and fast. Does the, Bible, does the Bible say that fasting is something we ought to do as Christians? It does. You know, Jesus over in Matthew 6 said, when you give, he just assumed Christians are going to give. He says, when you pray, he assumed Christians are going to pray. And he also said in that same passage, when you fast. He just assumes that Christ's followers are going to fast. Okay? Now, take a day and say, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to drink water today. And see what your flesh starts to do. It will protest. It will rear its ugly head and say, no, I want to eat. Feed me. Because when you start trying to tell the flesh what, what's up, you start trying to tell the flesh what you're going to do, the flesh will rebel and try to pull you in the other direction. It's your old sin nature. No, I don't want you to fast. I don't want you to focus on God. I want you to eat, right? So just fast for a day. You'll see how strong your flesh really is. You know, I like to run. And uh, I, had this, I had this revelation one day. I, I was, I'd gotten in pretty decent shape, and I, I could run uh, for, for a pretty good amount of time. And, and, and I, I realized one day when I was running that every time I run, the first mile is always difficult. It doesn't matter how good of a shape I'm in. The first mile always hurts. I hate the first mile. Once I get past the first mile, I'm fine. But you know what the first mile is? It's my flesh saying, wait, stop running. Stop exercising. Stop doing that. And the first mile is always miserable. I can't wait for the first mile to get over with. Because the flesh is always pulling you in the wrong direction. And it is strong. And Paul understood this. Look what he says in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. So he's saying, hey, I have this battle going on. How am I going to have the victory? He says, hey, Jesus gives me the victory. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ my Lord. And so he's clear there, I have this battle between the new me and the old me, between the spirit and the flesh, but Jesus gives me victory in that battle. Now, here's the question. How does Jesus give you that victory? How do you have, practically, functionally, how do you have victory over the flesh? All right? Well, turn back to Romans 6. We're kind of going backwards. Romans 6, verse 5. It talks about union with Christ. It says, for if we have become united with him, that means if we're saved, we're one with Christ, we've placed our faith in Christ and invited him into our life to be our Lord and Savior. We've become united with him. We're his in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self, our flesh, was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So Paul says we've died to sin. Here's what that means. It means 
that your flesh no longer has power over you. In other words, if you sin now, it's because you wanted to. You gave into the power of the flesh. But now, through Christ, you can have victory over the flesh because you've died to sin. Look what it goes on to say. It says, knowing this, our old self was crucified, verse 6, with him, that our body of sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, here it is, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus down the cross, when you accepted him as your Savior, you died to sin. So what should that mean for us? Look in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Because Jesus is your Savior... Because the Spirit has made you new, because you're born again, you now have power over the flesh you did not have before. And you can say no to the, to the sin nature and yes to God, because you've died to sin. Sin is no longer your master. And so here's what that means practically for you and for me. Uh, first of all, we need to consider ourselves uh, dead to sin. Look in verse 11. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin. In other words, understand that sin is no longer your master. That the flesh is no longer in control. Flesh is no longer calling the church. You need to understand who you are in Christ. If you're a Christian, sin no longer has power over you unless you let it. That makes sense? You can, through the power of the Spirit who's made you new, you can now say no to sin. So you've got to consider it. You've got you to know your identity in Christ. You've got to know that you're dead to sin. You've got to know that you're a brand new person. You've got to know that you have victory in Christ. But secondly, not only do you need to consider, you need to present. He says there, don't present your body anymore to unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. I was trying to think of how to illustrate this, and this is not a perfect illustration, but it's just going to have to work. All right, you know. Remember back in grade school days when you played sports, and you would choose two captains, and they would choose the team, and you don't want to be the last one chosen, you know. And they say, "I'll take so and so. I'll take so and so." You had two teams. Well, think of your daily life as the decision to play for one of two captains. All right. Again, not a perfect illustration. It breaks down, but just bear with me for a moment. Every day, you have the flesh, the old sin nature, and you have the Lord Jesus Christ standing there before you. And the old sin nature says, hey, come play with me. Come be on my team. Come do what we used to do. Think how we used to think. Talk how we used to talk. So that's, that's one team captain. The other one is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, hey, present your body to me. Come play on my team. Give me your life, and we'll do some stuff. We'll change the world. I'll give you power you never can even comprehend. I'll Use you in ways you can't fathom. I'll give you victory that you've never experienced before. Come play on my team. And so every day we've got to make a decision. Am I going to present myself to my old sin nature and play on that team? Or am I going to present myself as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to Jesus Christ? And I believe that's the decision we have to make daily. 
Because Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. He said that, right? It's a daily decision to die to self and, and present your body, present your life to Jesus. And so I believe every day we need to say, Jesus, here's my life. I'm not playing for that team. That team gets me into trouble. That team leads me down the wrong path. That, that team steals my joy and my hope and my peace and my fulfillment. I want to play for you, Jesus. I want to be on your team. You're the winning team. You've already won the victory. Here's my life. Here's my body. Here's my mind. Here's my heart. Here's my soul. Let's go do something for the glory of God. That's what it means to present. So you've got to consider... You've got to know, know who you are in Christ. You've got to know that victory is available through Christ. And you've got to present every day. Present your body as members of righteousness to Christ. And so I hope that illustration helps you to make a daily decision to follow Christ. But here's the deal. Jesus died on the cross so that sin could be crucified in your life. So that sin no longer has power over you. And if you're a Christ follower, you have the capacity by the power of the Holy Spirit, to say no to sin and yes to God. Everybody got that? Because Jesus is our banner. He defeats that enemy in our life. And by the way, while you're working on this and you stumble and you fall, Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? I mean, because we all blow it. I've blown it today, I blew it yesterday. And I'm working on this whole idea of presenting my body to Jesus. But listen, in the meantime... He's got us covered because when we embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior, He washed away all of our sins. And sometimes people get, 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 um, get down and depressed and they're under this load of guilt and shame. And, and, and you need to realize, hey, as you're fighting this battle against the flesh, you need to realize there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That your sins have been washed away. Now go fight, the, go fight for the victory. All right, that's the, the flesh. Third, Jesus triumphs over the devil. Jesus triumphs over the devil. Remember I told you that one of the enemies we're surrounded by is the devil and his demons. He's like a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. Spiritual warfare is real. Uh, the devil is not some fictional personification of evil. The devil is, is real. There's a real, literal devil that wants to destroy your life. And guess what? Jesus has defeated the devil. Let me show you a really cool passage. Turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. in verse 13 Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 Paul is writing to the church in Colossae by the way here's some insider information because you came to church tonight I think I may have told you this before but I think when I finish first Samuel I'm going to preach to the book of Colossians I mean I've been kind of doing some groundwork kind of reading and studying and getting ready and uh, I think we're I'm 99% sure we're going to Colossians God can always change if that if he wants to but but uh, boy I, I'm just excited it's a great book so just we'll get there in a few months okay don't get overly excited. We've got a lot of 1 Samuel left, but we'll get there eventually. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, when you were lost, he made you alive together with him when you were saved, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. 
So he's saying there, when Jesus died on the cross to cancel out your sin debt, to cancel out the, 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 the sin in your life, when he, he died to wash away your sins, he defeated Satan. When he died on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He made a public display of them. So when Jesus died on the cross, something was going on in the spiritual realm. We can't see that, all right? If we could, it would blow our minds. But there are, just because we can't see the spiritual realm doesn't mean it's not real. There are real angels. There are real demons. There's a devil. All of that. But when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus defeated sin, he defeated Satan. And there's some kind of public display made where Jesus triumphed over the enemy. I don't know what that looked like. Well, maybe the Lord will show us when we get to heaven. But Jesus triumphed over Satan as if to, to, to signal that he had won uh, the victory. Uh, in this day and time, it was, it was common for a, a conquering nation to bring back with them the spoils of war, the spoils of victory. And they would often uh, line the, the, captors, uh, the captives up that they captured in battle, and they would make them walk in, in the parade coming back into the city as people cheered the great victory of the army. And so maybe something like that was going on. Jesus, uh, in the spiritual realm, is marching in victory and triumph because he had defeated death, he had defeated sin, and Satan and his demons were walking as defeated captives in that. We don't know, but Jesus defeated the devil when he died on the cross. Uh, turn over to 1 John uh, chapter 5. We just read this. I want to show it to you again from that perspective. Oh, that's not the right verse. Hold one second. Oh, here it is. First John four. I'm sorry. First John four. You are from God, little children. First John four four. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. So, so Jesus lives in you. Jesus has defeated Satan, and Jesus can give you victory daily in this world over the enemy in your life. Jesus triumphs over the devil. But, guess what? You may have some victories over the world, and you may have some victory over the flesh, you may have some victory over the devil, but there's another enemy that's going to get us all. That enemy is death. The statistics hold true, one out of one, die. Right? No one's figured out a way around that one. Correct? Death comes knocking at all of our doors. So what do we have to say about that? Well, guess what? Jesus is our banner. Jesus defeated death itself. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I love this passage. Hebrews chapter 2. in verse 14, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, where that's what we're made of, we're just flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. In other words, he became, uh, he, he, he took on flesh for us. He became human for us. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, his death on the cross, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil and might deliver those who, were, who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Let me tell you, I've been all over the world, 
I've been to every continent now except for Australia and Antarctica. Okay? I hope to get to Australia one day. I don't ever plan on going to Antarctica. Everywhere I go, I see people afraid of death. It's the one great enemy of all humanity. And whether people admit it or not, everyone has that nagging at the back of their heart and mind. I am going to die. And there's no way I can get around it. When I, when I, when I preach funerals, oftentimes I'll, I'll say to the, the family and friends there, I'll say, listen, this is an uncomfortable time. And the reason it's so uncomfortable is because this funeral reminds us of our own, our own mortality. It all reminds us that we're going to have one of these one day, right? Reminds us of that. And it's, a, it's an unpleasant feeling to have to deal with death. But in this verse it says that Jesus defeated the devil by taking away his greatest weapon. He took away death because, listen, after Jesus died on the cross, what happened? He was buried, and on the third day, what happened? He, he rose from the dead. A week from Sunday, we're going to celebrate Easter Sunday. He rose from the dead. He defeated death itself. Now he is alive, and because he's alive, he can give us eternal life, right? We, we die, but we step through death into eternity with Jesus. So he's defeated the grave. We don't have to fear death. He's taken away the devil's greatest weapon. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Two more passages. Right before Hebrews. You got Philemon and you got Titus. Right before that, you got 2 Timothy. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Speaks of God's purpose that has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he made life and immortality, uh, eternal life available through us. He, it says there, abolished death. He did away with it. He defeated it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter. First Corinthians 15, verse 25. He must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is what? Death. There's going to come a time where final judgment is made on every person's life. Those that know Christ, whose names are written in the Lamb Book of Life, will step into the new heaven and new earth, that wonderful place called heaven. Those that uh, are not saved, those whose names are not in the Book of Life, will be uh, cast into the lake of fire. And at that moment, death will be abolished forever because those people that step into heaven will be there forever and ever and ever and ever. Death will no longer come knocking at their door or the door of their loved ones because Jesus has defeated it. And he'll wipe away every tear. He'll, he'll, wipe, he'll wipe away uh, all, all, the, all the tears from our eyes and from our face and he'll give us life eternal. That goes on and on and on and on. Jesus triumphs over death. And so Jesus is our banner. If you want God's presence in your life to, to fight against enemies, and we're surrounded by them, if you want God's presence in your life to protect you and watch over you and provide for you in the midst of the battles, you only experience that. You only experience Jehovah Nissi through Jesus because Jesus is our banner. I love what Romans 8, 37 and 39 through 39 say. 
I've got them written there in your notes. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. We win through Him, through Christ who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a good thought that, that God is our banner? And when God is your banner, when Jesus is your banner, you're on the winning team. And you're going to conquer. You're going to win. Nothing can, nothing can snatch you away from the victorious life, abundant and eternal, that Christ has for you. And so Jesus is our banner. You know, we were on this uh, mission trip to Ecuador this last weekend, and we took our boys with us. And Cameron's been to um, Toronto before, but he was a little guy. So this is kind of his first overseas trip. It's Caleb's first overseas trip. And it was a good experience for them. Um, but Caleb asked some questions about, the, no, it was Cameron, asked some questions about the plane crashing. You know, what if the plane crashes? <laughs> and that's a, that's a good question, right? It's where the rubber meets the road. What if the plane crashes? Because planes crash, right? I'm fully aware that, that planes crash. Uh, we had some plans in place for Abbey Faith if something happened to us while we were gone. I'm fully aware that people die uh, traveling. And so we had to just speak truth into Cameron's life. Cameron? For no, those that know Christ, nothing can touch our life unless God allows it. And if we die in this plane crash, we go to heaven. That's it. Victory, right? We win. Victory for those that know Christ. And so we need to realize the victory we have in Jesus and live in light of that victory and let God use us to bring that victory into other people's lives. So the Lord is my banner. The Lord is the one who watches over me. The Lord is the one who fights for me. The Lord is the one who gives me victory in the battle. I'm grateful for that name of God.